We are four days away from Thanksgiving Day. We are five weeks away from Christmas Eve. And we are six weeks and a day away from having to start writing 2024 on everything. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering what happened to 2023. And this week, Thanksgiving week, I find it's always a great time to take some time to reflect, to think about where we've been this year and maybe where we're going. Um, of course, Thanksgiving dinner is a great time to talk about where we are, what we're thankful for. My house, we always make it a practice to go around the table to say, what, what are you thankful for? And usually what we say is either something in the present or the recent past, right? We say something like, well, I'm, I'm thankful for my family and uh, for that my car didn't break down this year. Or I'm thankful for my friends and for the new house that we got. All of those things. But really, what we have to be thankful is for is not just the present or the recent past. What we, we have to be thankful for is the past, the present, and the future. And specifically for the way that God has worked and redeemed all three of those things. Now we are, we're leaving the book of Acts for a few weeks. We'll pick it up again in the new year. But today we're going to be uh, looking at the book of Romans. And fair warning, I'm going to be using an outline that I stole from Tim Keller. But he stole it from Jonathan Edwards. You're welcome to steal it from me. Uh, because it's really good. And it goes like this. In Christ, your bad things turn out for good. Your good things can never be lost. And the best is yet to come. Isn't that good? In Christ, your bad things turn out for good. Your good things can never be lost. And the best is yet to come. I want you to keep those three things in mind. As we read, we're going to read uh, the last section of Romans 8. This is maybe my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. Uh, pastor and scholar Derek Thomas says, it is the best chapter in the Bible. And uh, in it, Paul talks about how the Christian life is a life free from condemnation. And how the suffering that we experience is only temporary. And he reminds the Roman church that those whom God loves will persevere through the work of the Spirit. And then he begins in verse 31 to ask some questions before breaking into an ecstatic declaration of the love of Christ. And so if you are able, please stand for this reading of God's word. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is God's word for God's people and the good of the world. Please be seated. In Christ, your bad things turn out for good. The BBC show, Unforgotten, Every season starts out with the discovery of a dead body that has been buried for 30 plus years. And then it follows, the season follows these two detectives as they open up this cold case and track down leads. And inevitably, they find people who are still alive and were connected to the crime, to the murder. And it's really interesting to me how many of the people, when, when they're caught, right, when they're arrested, say something like this. They say, I knew this was coming. I knew it. I, I've been looking over my shoulder for 30 years, just wondering when you were going to show up. And there's almost, there's almost relief that the anxiety and the dread that they have carried with them is over. Well, in the book of Romans, Paul has been discussing how everyone is guilty in the eyes of God. That the wages of sin is death. And if we're honest, we've got to admit that we have all done things that, for which we are deeply ashamed. That we don't want anyone to know about. That we're looking over our shoulder wondering if it's ever going to come to light. But Paul follows up this discussion of sin with a really beautiful treatise on salvation. And he says this, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then in this passage, Paul then asks a series of three questions to believers. First in verse 31, he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Now, these, of course, are rhetorical questions that can only be answered one of two ways, depending on the big if in verse 31. If God is for us, then who can condemn us? Who can bring a charge And the answer is no one. No one. Because if Jesus died for you, there is now no condemnation for you. No one can bring up old charges. No one can point at you and say, you, liar, thief, adulterer. Because God says, no. He's my beloved. She 
is my daughter. Their sin has been paid for. And now they're forgiven. They're free. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the young boy Edmund betrays his brother and sisters. And uh, he ends up in the clutches of the white witch. And the witch, the white witch is the one who's been given the right to the life of every traitor by the, the great emperor who created Narnia. And then they call that the deep magic. But before she kills Edmund, the lion Aslan proposes a trade that if she will give Edmund back, that he will give his life for him. And of course the witch agrees because Aslan is the real threat to her power, and then she kills him. But what the witch doesn't know is that there is a deeper magic that said that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, death itself would start to work backwards. And so the witch is shocked when she's in the middle of a battle and Aslan appears and destroys her and wins the battle. In Romans 8, 28, has this amazing promise. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now that does not mean that all things are good in the life of a believer. It doesn't mean that uh, sin and evil suddenly become okay. No, what it means is that the bad things that have happened to you, or even that you have done, will one day be revealed to have been part of a great tapestry of redemption in your life. Even your sin will be an occasion for praising God that he defeated, that he worked in you to help overcome it. And so your bad things become good, and your good things can never be lost. Paul talks about who we are in the present with another question in verse 32. He says this, he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Now, this is another rhetorical question. In which Paul is saying this. He's saying that since God gave us the greatest gift that you could imagine, that he gave his son to be crucified for us, in Jesus, we get everything. All the riches of the gospel, justification, sanctification, forgiveness, glorification, eternal life, love, joy, peace. All of them we get when we get Jesus. When I was in college at Baylor, I, uh, I was friends with a guy named Doug who, he was a student, but he had somehow gotten in good graces with the athletic director. And so uh, when I was with Doug, we would often go up to the football stadium, and he could kind of go anywhere. And so we would go in the football offices. We uh, talked to the head football coach one time. We would go to the weight room. We even worked out there. We'd meet players. We could go on the field. We got front row tickets to games, which wasn't that hard, Baylor in the 90s. But without Doug, I, I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things. But with him, I could go really anywhere. And with Jesus, 
You get all the riches of heaven when you get Jesus. And there's an interesting image of God in the Bible. It says that that the Lord is our keeper. What does that mean? The Lord is our keeper. Well, I think it means a few things. It means, yes, that he, he preserves our life, that he protects us, keeps us safe from evil. But it also means that he is the one who keeps track of all that we do and of all that happens to us. So you don't have to worry about whether other people see the good that you do. God sees it. He knows. He remembers. And you don't have to worry about losing the good things in this life because God holds them for you. He's able to restore them to you a hundredfold in the next life. A number of years ago, my Uncle John was supposed to retire And uh, he and my Aunt Sandy had bought a vacation home in North Carolina. But just weeks before his retirement, he, he noticed some sores in his mouth, weird pains in his body. And so he went to the doctor and found out that he had terminal cancer. Died within a few months. Never got to move to that home in North Carolina. Now, from a materialist perspective, that's a tragedy, isn't it? To work your whole life to plan your golden years and not get to enjoy them. But my Uncle John knew Jesus, and so he is not missing out. Because of the resurrection, verse 34, Christ, Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Because of the resurrection, John is, Uncle John is going to a place where all his life And faith will be rewarded, and he'll have everything that he needs. Because of the resurrection, you will never lose anything of true value. The problem is that I I don't think we really think this way. Because we haven't truly grasped what the resurrection means for the world. So the resurrection of Jesus is a signal that all of creation is going to be redeemed one day. That the curse will be lifted and it'll all begin to work the way it was supposed to work. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says that the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. God will raise it to new life. And what you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, Building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbors yourself. These will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They're part of what we may call building for the kingdom. Which leads to our last point, and that is that the best is yet to come. Verse 35 has the last two questions in this series of questions Paul's asking. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? These questions Paul actually answers. 
They're more than rhetorical. What can separate us, he asks, and he answers nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not death, not demons or angels, not anything hidden in your past or lurking in the future. Nothing. Once you are loved by Jesus and you abide in his love, you can't lose it. It is a constant that will surround you and envelop you from here into all eternity. The, uh, the writer Harrison Scott Key talks about how his marriage and his family just fell completely apart at one point in his life. And he talks about how he became that guy who sits out in his driveway in his pajamas smoking cigarettes while people drive by saying, what a pity. He says, you know, I used to care what people thought about me. And I've given up caring. God loves me and that will have to do. That'll have to do. Well, it's a little more than that. Because here's the thing. If God loves you, that is worth all the love in the world. To paraphrase 1 Corinthians 13, if I had 10,000 fans who worshipped and loved me, but had not the love of God, I have nothing. On the other hand, if I've been canceled and I've been abhorred and despised by everyone I know, if I had the love of Christ the end of the day, that is what I truly need. Remember that Paul is writing to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, who are being shunned by their families and by the temple and by the local guild for becoming Christ followers. And that's why he asks, if tribulation or distress, persecution or the sword, if any of those things will separate us from the love of Christ. He's not making light of the suffering. Because he suffered, too, hasn't he? From, from beatings and stonings and imprisonment. But he knows that the secret of the Christian life is that Jesus didn't come to give you better life circumstances. Jesus came to give you better life. See, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're, you're suddenly not going to struggle any, anymore. You're not going to hurt anymore. In some ways, you might Struggle more after becoming a Christian. But with the love of Christ, Paul says, you can face those hardships with joy, knowing that anything that you lose in this life will be made up for a hundredfold in the next life. For a Christian, there is always hope. Always hope. And if you could see your life the way that God sees it, you would see that it is moving from glory to glory, from triumph to triumph when you're walking with Jesus, even your worst failures are part of the story that God is writing through you. And the real story starts after we die in the next life. This life's like the prologue, the prelude. Real life begins in God's kingdom in eternity. The best is yet to come. Now, I do need to say, though, that this only applies with that 
big if from verse 31. If God is for you. If you are in Christ. Because if you're not, these, these promises don't apply to you. I'm sorry to say. Your past is not atoned for. You will have to pay for the past sins. Your present is a gift, but since you don't give thanks to God for it, you'll never really see it as a gift. And it won't be able to last. And the best is not yet to come. Your heaven is now. Whatever fun and glory you can get right now. But it doesn't have to be that way. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, simply come to him and ask him to be the Lord of your life, to forgive your sins and to set you on a new path. And he promises that he will. And once you do, you get the love of Christ. You get everything. And then this Thursday, when it's your turn to say what you're thankful for, you can say, I'm thankful that God no longer condemns me. I'm thankful that God gives me every good gift in Christ. And I'm thankful that the love of Christ will envelop me for all of eternity. In Christ, your bad things turn out for good. Your good things can never be lost. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, we, when we take time to think about the riches of the gospel, all the amazing things that come from Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and all the things that he won for us. Father, we're, we're amazed that he could transform our, our lives, both our past, our present, and our future and give us a hope that no one else can give us. Father, we pray that you would help us become more and more aware of it, that we might overflow in thankfulness. For rebellion doesn't start with a clenched fist, but with a heart unwilling to give thanks. So we pray that you'd help us to be thankful. And Father, I know many of us uh, have struggled with family members, with things that have happened, things that have come between us. Father, I pray that maybe this week would be a time when you would work to break down the walls of hostility. You would help us to forgive, to ask for forgiveness, to restore those relationships, and to be a witness for the love of Christ in our lives and in our families. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one true and only Savior. Amen.